history in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Tuesday, November 24th. Thanksgiving week's upon us. Clemson Tigers are 11-0. Scott Schaefer is jobless, and life is good. Uh, we were expecting some first-time listeners this week, so uh, however you found us, thanks for tuning in, listening to the podcast. Uh, we record this show about twice a week. This week, in advance of the South Carolina game, we are doing a three-part preview um, across three different shows. This is show two of three. Uh, we encourage you all to go back and check out part one where we interviewed Chili. He was a co-founder and blogger over at Block C. Before that, Danny Ford is God. Really funny guy, so uh, make sure you check that out. Um, as well as all of our previous recordings throughout the season. Um, you can subscribe to us online. Uh, if you use an iPhone, you can find us in the podcast app. Just search for Clemson Podcasts on iTunes or any podcasting platform that you use. And when we record, we actually put up our recordings straight into soundcloud.com. Uh, it's a great site for exploring podcasts and music and stuff. So we are up on SoundCloud. You're able to subscribe to us there as well. Um, so welcome. Hope you guys like the, the podcast. Um, for this second part episode, sort of back to our normal extended edition, regular podcast programming, I'm joined here today by Ben. And what we're going to do today is uh, recap the Wake Forest game, uh, preview the South Carolina game. That's kind of the, the main event, probably most of the reason you guys are tuning in. We'll take a look at scores around college football this past weekend. A lot of action going on around the country. And we'll look ahead to the matchups in this rivalry week. There's definitely some national uh, college football playoff implications coming up. So a lot of good action. We'll touch on that as well. Uh, we will also talk about Clemson's rivalry this week. In addition to the preview of the game, we'll talk a little bit about the rivalry, what it means to us, um, both Ben and I, within our context as fans. Um, and lastly, we'll close it out with a little bit of Clemson basketball. So, uh, Thanks for tuning in and sticking with us. One thing we do, we also talk to you all about what we're, what kind of beer we're drinking. So tonight, uh, we got a couple on tap over here. Uh, we started out with Anchor Brewing's 2015 Christmas Ale. It's kind of a winter seasonal that they do. Um, this one's really great, if you guys can find that. Um, they're based here in San Francisco, but I know that Anchor Steam, uh, which is their flagship beer, you can find that on the East Coast and in the Midwest as well. Um, their Christmas ale is amazing. It's really rich, complex, kind of dark ale with, with a really good spicy note, like most winter seasonals. Um, I think it's great on a cold day or you know after a big meal. Ben, what else do we have? Well, from, uh, and you're going to have to correct me if I don't pronounce this uh, right, Omagong yeah, Brewery? Yeah, Omag- Omagong. You got Omagong it. Brewery. This is uh, from Cooperstown, New York, up there, uh, Near the Baseball Hall of Fame, I'm drinking a Hennepin, their farmhouse saison. Uh, it's actually it's a pretty good beer. I'm really liking this. They describe it as hearty, rustic, golden ale, hoppy and crisp. A lot of adjectives going on there. Um, I think you could uh, pick it out. It's uh, by its label. It appears to have uh, two Puritans and a canoe toasting to going over Niagara Falls. So, not sure what that's all about, but uh, either way, it's a good beer. Nice. Uh, yeah, Omegon does good stuff. I'm sure you guys have heard of that. They also do the Game of Thrones beer. Um, it's called Valor, Valor Morgulis. I totally screwed that up. Yeah, no, but, that, uh, sounds, Valor that sounds exactly right. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff, too. Um, all right, well, uh, I guess we can start out with college football and what we saw around the country over the weekend. We will start out with um, 
a bit of a shocker, um, although not to you, Ben. You predicted this. Uh, the Citadel went into Williams Rice Stadium and upset South Carolina by a score of 23 to 22. Um, this was a crazy game. I was kind of watching a few other games happening at that same time, namely the UNC Virginia Tech game, but kept keeping an eye on this on my phone and um, seeing that the Citadel, you know, was ahead in the first half. South Carolina went back and took the lead. It kind of went back and forth. So um, this was crazy, crazy outcome. You know, good for the Citadel. This this vaulted them into the FCF playoffs. And I just think, as I mentioned on the interview with Chile, South Carolina continues to find a way to hit rock bottom. Yeah, and I didn't predict this just because I wanted South Carolina to lose. I actually thought the Citadel had a really good chance based off of how South Carolina's season was going. Um, and that the fact that they could honestly be overlooking them, knowing that they had us circled as the last game of the year. Listen, at that point, South Carolina already wasn't going to become bowl eligible. Um, so really, the only thing left for them to play for in the year was to knock off a number one ranked Clemson. So this was a clearly an easy trap game for them. And so for the Citadel to go in there, you know, great for those guys and, and put up a win like that. Like that was fantastic to see. I encourage everybody, if you haven't seen it yet, you know, go on YouTube and uh, look up uh, the Citadel's post-game celebration because those guys were so pumped to go in there. I think it meant a lot to, to several guys. I think, you know, probably there were a few they talked about in the commentary during the game that were from Columbia and how much it meant to them to really be playing in that stadium. You know, they didn't care that South Carolina was, was a terrible team this year because, you know, they're in a lower conference. So to beat an SEC East team, meant the world to them. It was great seeing the celebration, and honestly, like, as a Clemson fan, it was honestly really awesome to see South Carolina lose like that. Absolutely, and I think if there was any prayer of Sean Elliott keeping his job or staying on as full-time head coach, um, those were extinguished on Saturday. Um, As well as, I mean, I think what we saw across the country, a couple other games, Florida, they needed overtime to beat Florida Atlantic. Georgia needed overtime to beat Georgia Southern. Seems like the SEC looked past the SOCON. Yeah, so uh, Brett Belima, Arkansas's head coach, he earlier, I think this week, or maybe it was the week before, actually was kind of proposing that the SEC to to strengthen their their schedules uh, out of conference year in and year out should really start this, like, Big Ten SEC challenge, the same, uh, similar to what the ACC and the Big Ten have in place in basketball. so, you know, part of this, number one, Brett, you're having enough trouble beating FCS schools, as is apparent. Um, you know, they're not so much cupcakes, I guess, uh, uh, apparently. Uh, they, uh, I think Arkansas lost in Toledo earlier this year. Yeah, Toledo's in the MAC. That's still FBS, but certainly they're not, you know, not a school that you would expect an SEC West team to lose to. Yeah, so you're not the high and mighty SEC anymore. You're having trouble beating these cupcakes on your schedule. So, you know, Brett Palima, you know, he was kind of on the hot seat at one point this year. Arkansas has kind of put together some good wins here to finish off the season. And I think is he's looking in better shape. But, you know, when the SEC East uh, champion is having trouble putting away Florida Atlantic, it takes him overtime to do that. Uh, and then, again, Georgia barely Almost beating. Almost lost to Vandy also. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they have an anemic offense. Listen, SEC, they need to focus on the teams that are already on their schedule. Then they can talk about playing better teams. Yeah, interesting action across the country outside the SEC as well. I mean, um, we saw, let's, I guess, move on to the, let's keep it in the ACC. Notre Dame escaped Boston College and Fenway Park 19-16. Um, to 16. So they basically won by a field goal. Uh, really sloppy game. ND turned it over five times. 
Um, they suffered a couple of pretty severe injuries. Kavari Russell, I think, is out six to eight weeks. Uh, it looks like Procyse might also miss that Stanford game coming up this weekend. Um, and BC is just such a terrible team offensively. Still managed to move the ball, put up 16, and make this a game. Uh, so, yeah, Andy's kind of struggling of late. And they've got a huge matchup against Stanford. They've got to win that if they have any prayer at a playoff. Yeah, and even if they do and get into the playoff, number one, I think the playoff committee will take a look at all the injuries that they have and, and take that into consideration. But even if they do claw their way in there, they're going to have a tough time uh, going up against the other top three teams in the country, especially with all the injuries that they've sustained this year. Uh, you know, they had injuries coming into the season. So this has just been a year-long thing. They've, it's been unfortunate because you never like to see a team um, lose or miss out on an opportunity because of injuries. You want it to come down to the play on the field with the, with their best players, and ideally, you'd beat them with their best players. I mean, we all know that it takes a little something off. Even had we beaten Florida State at Florida State last year, it would have meant a little bit less that Jameis Winston wasn't on the field. Right. And it hurt even worse that he, he wasn't, and we lost that game. So, you know, Notre Dame, they've, listen, they're going to be a good team next year. Deshaun Kaiser coming back. They've gone through a lot this year, and to, to stay as a one-loss team and still up there in the college football rankings, it, it you know says a lot to really that team and how they're playing. Yeah, it's good, and it, I think it, they're just an incredibly well-coached group, and um, credit to Brian Kelly and his staff. But, um, I mean, even, even if they do get their players back, even if they manage to beat Stanford, I don't know that they're among the four best teams in the country. Yeah, and I agree, and we can get into this uh, here in a little bit as we talk about the polls, but I think ultimately Notre Dame, even if they beat Stanford this week, there's going to have to be a lot of other crazy things going on uh, within the Big 12 um, and the Big 10 to get them in. Yeah, Yeah. to get Notre Dame in there. Uh, You mentioned the Big 10, so number five, Iowa. Sort of everyone's like, ah, are they really number five? They really earned it. They put it to Purdue. Um, the final score might not even indicate how much, how definitively they won this game. And again, it's Purdue, but uh, they won forty to twenty. <laughs> Who doesn't put it to Purdue? It, exactly. They've got a big drum. That's about it. So forty <laughs> to twenty. Um, Iowa seems to be somewhat legit, and they've got Nebraska here before they play in the Big Ten championship. Um, looks like they'll probably play Sparty unless Penn State can upset them. Yeah, I'm still not sold on Iowa. Again, uh, there's a very good chance. Um, that by the end of the regular season that perhaps there's not a team on their schedule who ends up ranked in the top 25. We'll see how the, the Big 12 championship plays out, I think. Um, Big 10. Uh, sorry, Big 10, yeah. yeah. I mean, Iowa's going to have to go undefeated. If, if they lose this weekend, even if they win the Big 10, I think they're out. Um, Michigan State, on the other hand, uh, I guess they have a fighter's chance with... Uh, yeah, I think they control their destiny. I mean, if you, you upset the number three Ohio State Buckeyes, you squeak out of it. Ann Arbor with that one over Michigan, and then you go on to upset what might be an undefeated Iowa, or not upset, but beat an undefeated Iowa. But again, a lot of get in. a lot of weird things going on there. I mean, we could possibly have a, a one-loss Iowa if we expect that they're knocked out. Um, what if you have a two-loss Michigan State? Does that push a one-loss Ohio State back in there? Like, how does this all work out with the Big Ten? There's a lot of things going on, and then the Big Twelve. I mean, I'm. You know, maybe on the surface it seemed like a good idea to backload their schedule given what happened last year of them being left out of the college football playoff. But now as these games are playing out, there's a very good likelihood that you can put all your tough games at the end of the year between each other. There could be like a round robin, like, you know, of them yeah. beating each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And that could really hurt their schedule. You could be looking at a second. If you see a second year of the Big 12 being left out, 
uh, you might see a change in that conference uh, uh, president um, their mm-hmm. commissioner just because they need to change their need. They need to add teams so they can get an actual. I think that's, that's the case yeah. here. They need to figure out is it a couple of FCS teams or pay schools to transfer, just like the Big Ten did with with uh, Rutgers and Maryland, um, just to bolster that their chances and get back into a championship game for the Big Twelve to have their big. Um, I think fatal flaw was catering to Texas as much as they did. And we look at Texas now; they're no good. And they haven't been good for, for several years now. And that's what they built it around. Now you see the rise of teams like Baylor and TCU um, and even Oklahoma State. Uh, and they're all suffering because of that. I mean, you saw Nebraska uh, bolt from the Big 12 and Colorado bolt from the Big 12. And a lot of it was centered around all the favoritism that Texas got. And now Texas isn't pulling their weight. Right. Um, yeah, I think a leadership change could certainly be in order if they find themselves left, left out again this year. Yeah, I think the... At this point, the Big 12's only shot is if Oklahoma is able to win next week, uh, or this week, actually, in the Bedlam game. You could talk about ba- if Oklahoma State wins, you know, Baylor might might sneak in if they're able to beat TCU just by virtue of having beaten Oklahoma State. Uh, but then again, Baylor would have lost to a, a two-loss Oklahoma at that point. Um, and if Oklahoma wins, they lost to Texas. And if you're up against Notre Dame for that fourth spot, ND beat Texas. So... All this to say that there's there's still a lot of scenarios that could play out, even with only two weeks left in the season. Like, yeah. there's not a conference I think right now that can confidently say that they've got one team in, because a Clemson loss uh, out of our next two games uh, could possibly knock us out. A Bama loss to Florida in the SEC championship game or to Auburn could keep the uh, possibly the uh, the SEC out. Um, you know, Pac-12's already out. The Pac-12, well, we say that, but if, if the Big Ten beats up on each other and the Big 12 beats up on each other, does Stanford sneak their way back in if they went out? Yeah, I maybe mean, they beat Notre Dame and Utah or USC team. Could yeah, be. so, I mean, I can see a lot of scenarios playing out where, you know, each conference possibly gets left out of this college football equation, and... This is kind of fun. You know, the playoff thing is working, and I would love to see it go to eight teams. Um, but this is a hell of a lot better than the, the BCS system. Yeah, you mentioned sort of the polls coming out this week. Uh, Clemson remained at number one in the coaches and the AP, the one that matters. Um, the top four did shuffle a little bit with Ohio State losing. Uh, Alabama stayed at second. Iowa moved up to number three. They jumped Notre Dame, who's still at four. Um, interestingly for Clemson and for our fans, UNC moved up. I think it was they were number 12 in the AP last week. They're now up to number 11. Um, I don't really see them, if they, they're able to beat NC State, I don't really see them moving up much past 10 um, heading into the ACC title game. But you know, to give Clemson another number 10 matchup, potential win there, I think is good news for us. Um, any other thoughts on the polls this week, Ben? Well, I mean, look at all the teams ahead of North Carolina that could possibly lose. Uh, uh, this coming week, Notre Dame could lose, Oklahoma could lose, Michigan State could lose, Baylor could lose, uh, Oklahoma State could lose, Florida could lose. I mean, yeah, I think the problem is the teams that would beat them are just right next to UNC in the in the rankings. So you've got Michigan, you've got Stanford right there. There could be a lot of shuffling going on. And, and then now, as we were just talking about all these conferences getting left out, it got me thinking about, well, what about the independents? You know, Notre Dame is your independent. Uh, nobody's talking about Navy. Navy's nine and one. They sit at sixteen right now. But if you have the Big Ten beat, if these other conferences beat up on each other, listen. Navy has 
Um, two games left to play. One's against a good number 19 at, at Houston, a number 19 Houston team, and then they got Army at home to close out the year. Their only loss on the season is against Notre Dame back when Notre Dame was you know, a lot more healthy than they are now. So, you know, it's a long shot. It's definitely a stretch, but I'll, this is very interesting. There's a lot yeah. of scenarios that could play out. It could be, you know, I, I always go back. It could be just one other factor that tips the scales more toward an A-team playoff if you've got teams still feeling screwed out of the four-team system. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think the four-team playoff is always going to be kind of a, a testing, you know, a, a guinea pig uh, to see how we could uh, eventually expand to an A-team. Ultimately, I think A-teams is where we're going to go. Uh, but for now, the four-team the four system is, is really exciting and working for me. Great. Well, uh, let's move on to the Wake Forest game, Ben. Um, this was a decisive win for Clemson, 33-13. Final score might not look it from, from the scoreboard, but... Um, this was Clemson's 14th consecutive victory that puts us in uh, having the longest streak in the nation. This was the 700th program win, perfect 8-0 ACC regular season for us. Um, it was the senior class's 43rd win, which broke the 2014 team's record uh, for most career wins as a senior class. So um, maybe categorically, this was an important win, a great win. Um, but I think for this season, Dabo put it best, you can't get to 15 wins, 14 wins without getting your 11th win. And um, it was really, really good to see them do this. Um, for me, it was sort of the dominant, definitive, all phases win I was hoping to see. Um, we might not have played four quarters of, you know, clean Clemson football, but, um, you know, we, we did kind of control control on defense um, and get a lot of good plays on offense. We saw Jermon Hopper have a big game. We had some reserves come in and really hold the fort, especially on the defensive end in the back seven. So uh, I was looking forward to that and was happy to see it out of our team. Um, great for the seniors as well to get that that big win on their last home game um, of their careers. And last thoughts, I guess, initially, uh, Deshaun Watson had a great game. I think he um, put on a clinic with the deep ball, um, hit Jermon Hopper and Tron Peak with some long balls, um, he, he had some picks and some near picks were a little bit troubling, but I think that's a matter of, you know, he wasn't necessarily dialed in to this as like a ultra competitive game, willing to take a little bit of risk um, and wasn't as crisp on his throws. So I'm not too concerned about that, but all in all, pretty pleased with the, the performance. Yeah, overall, I actually think it was kind of a boring game. Um, you know, we got out to a 37 to lead, uh, 30 to 7 lead at the half. Uh, but then we were outscored 6-3 to three in the second half. At the same time, I was actually pretty pleased just to be able to sit back, relax, and watch us easily beat someone. That's kind of what I was hoping out of the Syracuse game. Um, and when things were clicking, we looked really good. We actually looked like a number one team. So that was a huge positive that I take away from this game. And all in all, it was good to get a lot of guys um, uh, in and get some experience. And then you know, still beat them sol solidly with a lot of our second and third teamers. Uh, and also good to get a lot of guys rested and healthy moving forward because I think now going into the South Carolina game that, you know, we're finally, we're getting a lot of guys back. We're going to get Crowder back, hopefully McLeod. Um, Gallman will be back in there. I think it was good that he sat this game out. Uh, Mack didn't play a lot in this game, you know, kind of nursing an injury. So it was good to get some rest. I think this was kind of a de facto bye week uh, for, for a few guys. So I think that worked out really well. Still a little bit of concern I want to see us put together a full, complete game, and it's hard to judge 
uh, when you're playing a team like Wake and you get out to such an early lead and you start messing around with some other, you know, bring Kelly Bryan in in the second half and a lot of those, um, uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, were they Wildcat plays? Like, or when Deshaun's like just spread out and standing there by himself for like four or five plays in a row. I mean, you're practically playing 10 on 10 at that point because somebody has to cover him. But right. So it's hard to judge. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the South Carolina game, uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but we're really going to put the keep the foot on the gas throughout, so we'll get a better judge heading into the ACC championship of how complete a game this team can play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talked about um, putting together a complete game. Clemson led thirty to seven at the half. We jumped out to a, a twenty to nothing lead in the first quarter, but we were outscored in the second half yet again, six to three. I think last week we played even ball in the second half. So. Um, you know, again, I think that that's partially the type of offensive play calling we were doing, as you mentioned. Um, just we had some turnovers, some sloppy plays. So, well, at least this week we didn't have the first team on the field for most of the second half. Although we did see Deshaun Watson uh, come back into the game in the fourth quarter, which uh, Wake Forest coach Dave Clawson got got a little mad and a little tiff that Watson was in there at the end of the game. But I'm like, listen, buddy, you know, we're in line for a, a playoff, and we need to to impress some people uh, especially when alabama goes up against csu and blows them out like 52 to 50 something to six right uh and then you got watson in the heisman discussion and then you got your seniors there you know going in there you know some guys that have never really seen the field before they get out there to play you want to ensure them a completion you don't want to throw nick schusler out there mm-hmm. or kelly bryant that's doing them a disservice so right um you know put them out there let them catch a pass from watson so i think there's a lot of factors it's like Dude, worry about your own team. Yeah, no disrespect meant, obviously. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is less about you than it is about everything else going on at Clemson. So, you know, maybe one day you'll know what that's like to be there. Probably not at Wake Forest, but no use getting mad. Yeah, maybe let's touch on the offense overall r- real quick. Um, Deshaun, again, in, in the Heisman consideration, he had another 300-yard passing performance. 343 through the air, threw three, three touchdowns, had those two interceptions. Um, you know, deep balls. We, we had a couple of great throws to Hopper, uh, great touchdown to Strong Peak as well, um, and also moved the ball around. I think nine different Tigers caught balls. So great to see Deshaun continue to perform and improve throughout the season. Um, yeah, you got the two picks, but I think any any true Heisman voter is going to take a look at this game and understand this was against Wake Forest. He was not throwing picks against Notre Dame, against Florida State. Um, so I think they can forgive some of those. I don't think this harms his case much. Well, I don't know. I think it's even worse that he's throwing picks against Wake Forest, and it is a little bit concerning to me uh, that we have seen some kind of head head scratchers coming um, out of him in the interception department this year. Overall, is it hurting his Heisman chances? Yeah, I think they'll stack that that interception number up against him, but there's so many other facets of his game that he excels at. And let's see what happens against South Carolina and then against North Carolina, the ACC championship game. We're seeing a lot of guys kind of fall out of the race for net now with LSU with three losses. Ezekiel Elliott, I think after his comments after the Ohio State loss to Michigan State, kind of puts him out of the race. We'll see how Urban Meyer handles his presence on the team moving forward. Yeah. Um, but he's still clearly in there. Um, I think that's without a doubt. And again, this guy's a sophomore. We have one more year to look forward to of him, and he's going to be in the discussion, if not in New York this year. I think he will definitely expect to see him back next year. Yeah, very much. Um, Running game was also pretty pretty, um, competent in this game. As you mentioned, Wayne Gallman sat out. 
was a noticeable drop off in terms of kind of explosiveness of play, but um, you know, Kelly Bryant was actually the leading rusher. Uh, Zach Brooks, unfortunately, only mustered two yards of carry. CJ Fuller, 3.6. But the Tigers were able to maintain balance in the offense. I think it was like 42 running plays, 40 through the air. Or might have been flipped that. But uh, pretty balanced overall. Um, I think you you mentioned this offline. Zach Brooks's success as sort of a find the outside, change of pace runner, that works when Wayne Gallman's in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, you, you do change the pace on the defense. When mm-hmm. when they just have to game plan for Zach Brooks, um, he's got a, it's a little, little bit of tougher sledding for him. Yeah, no, his his success is completely dependent on Gallman being in there. And you really see the drop-off when Gallman's out, and that just shows you how special he is. I think Brooks is a good um, kind of uh, support uh, back as a number two back. He adds a dynamic... Uh, uh, dynamics of the offense and his speed and his ability to get outside. But again, that's not going to work well when Gallman's not in there to, to bust it up the middle. At the same time, Crowder being out, the run blocking has not been the same with him not in the game. So, you know, again, going into South Carolina, we're going to get these guys back. I, I expect to see our running game, um, you know, really return to form. Um, on the bright side, out of the wide receivers, Jamon Hopper, Really had a great game. Three catches for 120 yards and a TD. We're really starting to see this kid come on and get over some of those inconsistencies that he's he's kind of been plagued with uh, in his uh, short career. My question for you, do you think he could have a breakout senior year next year? I think he could. I mean, you're going to, in all likelihood, have Mike Williams back on this team. And I think Mike Williams is going to pick up the top, you know, top cornerback, if you will, um, their pass defense so yeah could open things up for hopper interestingly we're gonna have hunter renfro out there as well and could this be sort of a two two-headed slot receiver type offense that they can run with a mike williams on the outside could be great well and then kane and mcleod and trevion thompson um overton coming in i mean it's an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver i mean hopper said it best in his post-game interview and i was really it was really great to see his humility um about talking about, listen, this is wide receiver. You, we, we, we all do it. When it's your time to step up, you step up, and you don't complain about getting a lot of touches or anything like that. Everybody's going to contribute. Oh, yeah. by the way, Artavis Scott's going to be back next year too. So, right, um, you know, just it's we're spoiled at this position. It's great to have all these guys, and then with Williams possibly coming back next year again, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I but I, the way I think about it, and you look around the NFL right now, Jerron Brown, he was never the man. Martavis Bryant was also never the man. I mean, I think you had, um, for a while, you had um, New Hopkins and obviously Sammy Watkins as our primary options. And these guys were kind of secondary, tertiary guys. They're getting playing time in the league and excelling. So it's something, I mean, I don't know if Jermon Hopper's got an NFL pedigree. I mean, he's certainly broken out and starting to meet some of that potential. Um, no longer is he Jermon Dropper. So yeah, I think could very much be and. Yeah, let's let's continue to see how he develops the next few weeks. We might need him. Well, and it's kind of the same thing with Sharon Peak. I mean, he's continued to be solid as the years have gone along, and I continue to to kind of hit on this is that give this guy time. He hasn't played a lot of his, in his career. He's really stepped up in the absence of Mike Williams, and his he's starting to catch the balls. He's not having as many drops, um, and so I mean, he's one of our most uh, dependable wide receivers right now, and he's making plays. Uh, finally, I guess one thing I want to talk about before we move on to the defense, um, Kelly Bryant, he has a long way to go with his passing and decision making. Uh, however, his running ability is a clear factor. 
can we trust him in the big game? Because you saw him out there with Watson split out wide, and I still wonder what was Watson doing in there. I don't wonder if they're not setting something up for bigger game situations. He has talents and tools that we could use right now to help us in, in winning a national championship, and I think that's what the coaching staff has him in there for. So it will be interest, interesting to see moving forward how he's utilized. Again, do they trust him in a big game? We'll see. But another exciting talent on the offensive side of the ball. I think the it's, there are totally different styles, but the corollary here is in the 2007 National Championship game, Urban Meyer brought in Tim Tebow as a compliment to Chris Leak, their lead quarterback. Chris Leak is not a Deshaun Watson. Kelly Bryant is not a Tim Tebow. But at the same time, that change of pace can throw defensive coordinators for a loop. Um, especially possibly you get into the red zone, you've got to deal with Kelly Bryant's legs at that point, and that could open some things up. You've got Deshaun on the outside. Do they do some type of screen pass, misdirection stuff? And then you've got Deshaun there able to you know throw the ball and connect. Could be interesting, but I think it's fine to do that in the second half of a, of a wake game where it's in hand. It's not okay to do that on the third series against Syracuse when you know a turnover there could completely flip the momentum of the game. So I don't foresee that we'll we'll put ourselves in that type of risky situation the next couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, we could see some more of Kelly Bryant. Uh, let's move on to the defense just to keep things moving here. Um, I mean, I, f- I feel like there's really, if I had to talk about three things here, we can maybe go through the, the phases of the defense or kind of the, the segments of the defense. Um, the D-line did great. I thought that we had, we got back to our kind of tackles for loss and sack uh, production that we've we've come to know and like through the first few games of the year, Kevin Dodd once again continues to to outplay everyone's expectations. We didn't see too much of Shaq in terms of just you know real disruption there. I think they threw everything they had at him, but he still had a really good game. Um, and yeah, I mean I, I I don't know I continue to be impressed by our D line play and those coaches deserve a lot of accolades. Yeah, I was kind of more focused on the linebackers. Um, overall, I'm glad that we got a, young, a lot of young guys in there, got them some playing time. Uh, Bullwear went out early with an injury. Luckily, I think it's just a stinger, and he'll be back. But they really opened yeah. up the, the possibility and the opportunity for Jalen Williams to get in there, and I thought he, he looked really well. You know, He had good speed. He still has some size limitations, um, but I was really excited uh, about what I saw out of him, and I don't wonder if he d- doesn't start pressing for uh, – for more playing time. Um, and the Dorian O'Daniel, he also got a lot of playing time. Still not great in coverage, but he's good at stopping the run. So, again, linebackers, uh, the linebacker position has been an issue for us all year, especially the depth. So, if we can get through these next two games, I think uh, I think the bowl practice, and the, well, we'll call it the playoff practice now, hopefully, um, is, is going to go a long way to getting these guys game ready. So, I would expect to see them come out in the possible playoff scenario and really be able to contribute um, again, I'm less concerned about the linebackers and coverage right now as I think uh, the run, their run-stopping ability is more important. I, it doesn't seem like too many teams have picked us apart. Um, mm-hmm. Blinks and Bullwear are still not great in coverage. Um, but, you know, again, the run-stopping ability, Bullwear can just kind of correct being out of position a lot, as we've seen happen. Um, you know, again, this is still a weakness, but we kind of m- took some steps in this game um again against albeit a a weaker wake opponent but every game's a learning moment so it's good to get those young guys some playing time and we'll see what happens moving forward yeah sounds good and i think overall like tankersley you know he had a pass breakup that looked to be 
you know, a sure long gain at the very last second, suck his hand in there and poked it out. He had yet another pick. Um, so pretty, pretty happy with Tankersley's play again. Yeah, again, Adrian Baker, Ryan Carter, Mark Fields got a lot of playing time. So aside from Tank and with Mac being out for most of the game, good to get those guys' experience. Uh, I'll be interested to see if uh, Fields, you know, if, uh, he was a South Carolina, originally a South Carolina commit, decommitted and came to Clemson. It'd be good to get him out on the field in Williams-Brice um, and, and you know, see what he can do this coming week. Hopefully our lead is big enough to get some of these younger guys in. Yeah, we mentioned it at the top. I mean, again, I think the defense put together a pretty complete game, holding Wake Forest to 13 points. Um, one of their scores came, unfortunately, on a defensive PI call, and it was about a 30-yard touchdown. And then their first score of the game was uh, coming after a turnover. They only had an 11-yard field to work with. And granted, there were some missed tackles there was not our best moment, but I can forgive 13 points to a team on those, on those circumstances. So good effort by the defense. Um, maybe any takeaways here on special teams? Boy, do I, um, why are there so many things to talk about on special teams? I mean, this is not continued to improve as the year's gone along. We had a blocked extra point, uh, no touchbacks. I do wonder if that's on purpose though. Uh, so we can get some more practice, um, against a, again, a weaker opponent, uh, you know, covering kicks. I say we put Joe Gore in kick coverage because he had two <laughs> great tackles, led, led the offense in tackles uh, against Wake Forest. Um, so throw him out there, see what he can do. Hopper, still a muff punt. Um, Fuller, kick returner. I mean, he's just not, he's not a kick returner. We need somebody else. Hopefully McLeod coming back. He can, um, you know, get some more touches back there. And then overall, Teasdall averaged 44 yards a punt. Uh, that's better than what we've been seeing. Again, field position. Uh, is a big issue, especially against really good teams. We need to, for him to continue to do that. So it was good to see out of this game that he got some longer punts off. Yeah, got nothing else. Um, well, let's let's wrap it up. Any final thoughts from the weight game? Yeah, this is how you should beat lesser opponents. Uh, the game was never in question. I thought we could have scored uh, a little bit more if we corrected some mistakes, but overall, good to let it get uh, get a lot of young guys playing time. And some others rested up. Yeah, I think for me, just nice to get back to our um, dominant form after a couple of shaky road performances on both ends of that Florida State game. Uh, and I think, you know, we really do have a bright future as a team. You mentioned some of the offensive playmaking ability coming back. I think we saw a lot of the reserves get in there and get some good playing time. Kept our team relatively healthy. That was a big bonus. Um, and, it, you know, this team's got a bright future. Um, we just need to get Kelly Bryant dialed in in the passing game. Uh, it was a solid number two to Deshaun. So a good win against Wake. We'll take it. We'll move on at 11-0. and uh, And next up, we've got the South Carolina rivalry game. So about this rivalry, I mean, um, South Carolina comes in. They're 3-8, and 1-7 in the SEC. We talked about their loss to the Citadel. Um, I want to start just by talking about this rivalry. And, you know, you and I, Ben, we come from different perspectives and backgrounds as Clemson fans, Clemson alumni. I'm a Yankee. You grew up in Charleston. Like, you know, we've come come at this from different angles. What does this rivalry mean to you, like, historically overall, and especially this year? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I, I was pretty much born and raised right outside of Charleston in Somerville. And it's pretty much all I knew my whole life was the Clemson-South Carolina rivalry from a, a kind of in-state South Carolina situation. And it wasn't like you pick sides, right? Growing yeah, up, yeah, exactly. I mean, you have two options. There's Clemson or South Carolina. It was in my family. My uncle went to Clemson, so I was always a Clemson guy. Um, I was always going to go to Clemson, and I was always going to be an architect. 
And if for some reason Clemson didn't have an architecture program, I wasn't going to be an architect. Like I was, right. it was the only school that I applied to. Um, I was always going to go there. So it wasn't really until I moved out uh, to San Francisco and got involved here with our San Francisco Clemson club that I really started being around a lot of other Clemson alum that um, you know weren't from the South or weren't from South Carolina, and I could tell like the, the rivalry didn't quite mean the same. Yeah. to them like there's not like in the part of it's because you just weren't around Gamecocks as much as I was and as any native South Carolinian that's a Clemson fan knows it's one of the most uh you know bitter and, <laughs> well yeah. yeah bitter robberies and they're just you know hard people to tolerate to be honest with you I mean if you know all of us know the back home that during the five-year streak that it was just a miserable miserable time but to see us right the ship has been fantastic. I know we only have, you know, we won last year, so that's that's hardly close to a five-year streak. But listen, I know where our program is last year, or right now, and that all that uh, South Carolina has to show for that five-year streak is a mason jar for, full of Lou Holtz spit and uh, an old used 50-foot banner of Steve Spurrier. Well, it looks like they're they're about to name a building after him. So a coach that quits on you halfway through the year to – name a building after him I think shows you a little bit of the the broken psyche of of that fan base and sort of where that school is um you know you mentioned it like I um didn't grow up in South Carolina like I don't don't really know and consort with that many Gamecocks so and being out here since I graduated really haven't been had to suffer through kind of the 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 blowback and the heat from the five-year losing streak um but that said I mean you know big college football fan, grew up in Ohio. We always, I mean, going to school, you hated Michigan. And going to school this week, rivalry week, you wore red every single day. You kind of didn't have a choice. And sort of football rivalry was kind of bred into me growing up up there. But it seems kind of different for you because Michigan was a different state, right? Totally. It's not, it's not in your backyard. I mean, certainly there are people from who went to school in Michigan that live in your town. And, you know, of 20 people in your class, five to six of them have Michigan stuff on. But you're right. It's not same state you know, civil war type stuff. Um, like, like you get in Oregon and like you get here in the Bay area, like you get in South Carolina, Alabama, those, those places. Well, um, and it's so funny. Cause I, I would say like the Alabama Auburn rivalry is a similar to the Clemson, South Carolina for sure. Um, but it, it's funny to me that like, uh, Michigan's biggest rival is not Michigan state. It's Ohio state. Yeah. And I went to grad school at uh, university of Kansas and their big rival was Missouri. Mm-hmm. And they, they they felt nothing really about K State, which to me I was like, wow, that's your in-state rival. Like, how is that not a bigger thing? So I think it's something very unique that that we have. I mean, obviously there's Duke, UNC, um, and you know UCLA and and Southern Cal, uh, but yeah, I mean I, I think that being from South Carolina, it really is a different perspective on the rivalry that. I don't think, you know, especially as uh, Clemson's admissions, like we're getting more, uh, you know, students from across the country, um, even across the world. Uh, So I think there is a different level of understanding what that rivalry means to you. It makes sense. And it is evolving. The more exposure we get, more exposure they get as well. Um, It's a strong international business school, um, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Pretty good across the board. Um, They have a few programs that are strong educationally. So yeah, it's going to evolve, but I think it's just, it means something more to native South Carolinians. 
like straight up. Yeah, well, and that's I think that's natural. I mean, you'll see a lot of guys on the team talk about like they had to learn what that rivalry was about. You know, once they got in the program, because if you're not from the state, you really don't get it. Because outside of the borders of South Carolina, there's not a lot of South Carolina Gamecock fans. There's not a lot of Clemson fans. So it really is a a kind of homebred like type of thing. And once well, you and I think with this year's team, what you've got is last year's team got them over the hump, broke the streak. I think the streak actually is doing service to bring into the Clemson program like a bit more of an edge to that rivalry, and knowing like man we they had our number for a number of years we got to continue the streak now. Well, and I, I I think it's great that's all they have to hang their hat on right now, and then to see that this is the outcome of that a whatever they are this year three and eight, mm-hmm. um, and then coachless we, coachless and we're number one in the country. Um, it's fantastic. I know which you know, side I'd rather be on. Yeah, and they they made a lot of fun of Dabo coming in. Well, look what Dabo has done. You know, it's compared to what Steve Spurrier uh, did there. Yeah, he's their all time winningest coach. Well, Dabo could very well be end up our all time winningest coach, and then also give us a national championship or two. We'll see what happens this year and next year. <laughs> you know, they, they they were talking of of Elliot being their Dabo. Well, that is quieted down now. Um, but you can see how jealous they are. They, they know what we have here, and it's a di- different atmosphere. Clemson is a different type of place. That five-year streak was anomaly. It wasn't going to last forever. At the end of the day, Clemson is the best team. It's the best program. It's the best school. Yeah, Larry Williams at um, Tiger Illustrated on Rivals wrote a great article about, you know, Spurrier got his jabs in on Dabo over the years, but Dabo basically ended up with the last laugh. And great piece. You guys should go read that if you subscribe. Um, but maybe let's turn the attention to this game and, and preview this a bit. You know, South Carolina comes in. They ended up last in the SEC East um, overall. Not a, not a distinction that you want, considering that's probably one of the you know, bottom 50% of divisions nationwide in the Power Five. Um, if you look through their schedule, they were blown out by a Georgia team before um, Nick Chubb went down to injury. Uh, they beat a North Carolina team first week of the year. They benefited from two interceptions um, in their own end zone. They beat a winless Central Florida team. Um, they lost to the Citadel, um, and then they also struggled to beat Vandy. <laughs> they lost to the Citadel. They also uh, lost to Kentucky. And they also lost to a Missouri team that went a whole month without scoring an offensive touchdown. Yeah, so kind of sad state of affairs. Again, I, I do feel like Spurrier quit on his team. Um, a number of good kind of career retrospective posts went up around that time about you know, Spurrier just played or coached, you know, with passion. And the minute he lost passion, you knew he was going to be out. I don't think of that as a worthy excuse for what he did. And especially, you know, what he meant to their school and their team. I think he deserved, or they deserved at least for him to play out at least through this year. Um, So yeah, be a man, like, like stick by your team. You like, you let down those kids that you recruited and convinced them to come and play for you. And you just quit in the the middle of the season. Okay. Yeah. If it doesn't work out at the end of the year and you think the program needs to take a different direction, then you leave. But this wasn't a situation where we fired Tommy Bowden and we had a clear like vision for who the next coach was going to be in Dabo. Like everybody believed in him. Tommy even Tommy you know, stepped out like in yeah. a way that yeah, like it was it was sort of a there was that clear path. Sean Elliott was not that guy. It was never going to be that guy. No, it would have taken a miracle. And you know, again. They're last in the SEC East behind Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Missouri. Right. It was it was always eight win, nine win, Tommy. It wasn't, you know, losing season after losing season, Tommy. 
So, yeah, it was just kind of disgraceful for me. They, they call it, you know, that he retired or he resigned, but he quit. At the end of the day, he quit on his team. Uh, so behind their coach quitting halfway through the year, I want to see what, what we know about this team, what our listeners can learn. Um, for those of you that are not Gamecock fans and haven't been following, um, do let's talk about their lineups. Do they have any players that would start for Clemson on either side of the ball? Well, it's hard to say um, with Farrow Cooper because he is a pretty good talent um, on the wide, wide receiver position for South Carolina. We have so much talent on our side of the ball at the wide receiver core, but I think absolutely he would start alongside uh, Sharon Peake, Artavis Scott, um, without a doubt in my mind. Like He really is a great player. I kind of feel bad for the kid that he's stuck on such a bad team, although he's going to see a payday in the NFL and it's all going to work out for him. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a really good talent. Anyone else, anyone on the defensive side that you think you know would be in our one deep, two deep? As much as I hate to say it because all the trash he talked about Clemson, but I think linebacker Sky Moore. Um, he's probably, he may be their best player on the defense, uh, on a really bad defense, but as thin as we are at the linebacker position, I think that's a guy we could benefit from. Um, but those are the only two guys I really see starting. Yeah, except maybe we don't know what they have on special teams, but probably their punter, because <laughs> every punter we face is fantastic. So whoever their punter is, right. um, Sean Kelly, yeah, he's averaging forty-four yards a punt. Yeah, probably be all right. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at some of their statistical numbers when they're on the defensive side. You know, they're in the the, the mid '80s and the '90s in rushing defense and passing defense. Um, not a very strong defense. If I'm Tony Elliott, Jeff Scott, I'm licking my chops coming into this matchup. Um, you know, it's it's a team that they're going to play desperate. This is their national championship game, trying to um, you know upset Clemson or at least disrupt what we're doing. Hopefully, the play doesn't get dirty and chippy, anything like that. Um, I think you'll see a little bit of jawing, but you know, again, hopefully, uh, they play with class and um, you know can keep it above board that's the one thing i worry about more than anything i think uh, if you look at the talent on both sides of the ball and look at how each team season has gone we are clearly head and shoulders the best team and should you know all things considered blow them out i really don't see us um, holding anything back in this game because it is a rivalry game we are on the road and you know Dabo did lose five in a row to south carolina i don't care if Spurrier is coaching right now or not like we're gonna take it to him in this game but yeah do they play dirty we hear rumors and and you know, again, you got to take these with a grain of salt because it's probably just the internet. But of, you know, them trying to take out Deshaun Watson. You know, I hold, I hold the players and the coaches on the opposite, um, well, for our rival South Carolina to a higher standard than I do their fans. Um, just you know, knowing you know how their fan base is, so I only put so much stock in that. But yeah, it is a bit of a worry if you have nothing left to play for and nothing to lose. Like you never know what could happen. So at the end of the day, I just hope on offense. And defense, both sides of the ball really stay healthy. But listen, I think we're going to be dialed in both the rushing and the passing game. I think we're going to look to get out early with a big lead and really quiet the crowd by taking some deep shots and then eventually letting Gallman take over and controlling the game. I, I actually don't think we're going to quiet the crowd because it's going to be all orange after the first <laughs> quarter. Um, Good point. I, I feel like if I'm a South Carolina fan ticket holder at this game, I'm selling my ticket to the, the highest bidder who's probably from the upstate. Yeah, no, I mean, I was there for the 63-17 game, and it by halftime, I was there with my brother, who's a South Carolina fan. He left at half. I never saw him again. Every South Carolina fan left, 
and I was on the home side, um, never saw them again. And I'm kind of sitting there in the stands by myself, nobody awesome. around me watching the rest of the second half. And like, uh, you know, does this turn into one of those games again? I don't know. That was a, that was an odd situation because honestly, in that game, if you look back and compare that season with this season, we weren't as good of a team as we are this year and they weren't as bad of a team as they are this year. So do I really see it turning into 63-17 again? I don't think so. Like, it's going to be a really hard thing to do. But if the momentum gets going and they give up, quite possibly. Yeah, I think one thing I mentioned with um, Chile in the interview was, ha- did the Citadel loss kind of break their will, break their spirit? Um, and are we going to see them come out with, you know, that, that fighter's mentality? Um, or, yeah, are they just going to kind of roll over? I think there was only one game they cared about after... Um, I think they lost to Florida before uh, playing the Citadel. They didn't care about the Citadel game. They couldn't go to a bowl game. Only one game mattered to them, and that's the Clemson game. So I expect to see more fight, at least at the beginning. Uh, but if we're able to get out and, and score quickly and get a two, uh, three score lead early on, I, I think you're going you're gonna to see them kind of give up. Uh, we've seen it before. And at the end of the day, we have more talent than they do, and that's going to win out. And we have better coaching staff. That's going to win out. Yeah, I think for me, we saw a blueprint of a team earlier this year in Miami who um, they're talking a bunch of stuff before the game. They're t- trying to treat this as their way to get back on the radar after losing to Florida State, maybe save Al Golden's job. Um, and we came out and punched him in the mouth. We scored on our first two possessions. We picked off their first offensive possession. And from then on, they, they kind of gave up, rolled over and quit, didn't put up a single point. I think you could see a similar performance this year like or this week with South Carolina. So how many coaches um, are we going to be partly responsible for getting fired this year? We've Should got, we include Sean Elliott in this? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, well, maybe not. He's, he's gone definitely he's after the Citadel gone. game. Okay, right. so we'll give him a break. I think we got Spurrier, we got Golden, we got Scott Schaefer at Syracuse that we can all take credit for, I imagine. Yeah, and who knows if Brian Kelly runs the NFL after this year, too. I don't know if you can chalk that up to Clemson, but... You know, we'll take some credit, handing his only loss to the state. Um, I guess, you know, just to wrap on this matchup and who we might need to worry about, put in some points on the board for them. You mentioned Farrow Cooper, uh, quarterback, Perry Orth. You know, he's not a great quarterback. I think their uh, primary option this year, his name was Connor. I know that for sure. Connor Mitch. Connor Mitch um, got hurt, hurt right? Even, it, even if they had him. I mean, listen, Lorenzo Nunez... He's their future quarterback. I think he was their four-star prospect coming in. They compared him uh, favorably to Kelly Bryant. Um, he's been out with an injury, but at the end of the day, Perry Orth is not the answer. Connor Mitch was not going to be the answer. Um, yeah, and I think, again, like for me, we've got the answer to their top matchups. You've got Orth to Cooper. We put him on Mac Island. Hopefully, you know, can shut him down entirely. Max Pitt comes this game because they don't have anybody else to throw to. Farrah Cooper's their only one. Their second leader receiver is their tight end, Jarrell Adams. And he has less than half the catches that Cooper does. You know Max will be lined up on him. I give Mac his interception, his first career interception, his uh, last regular season game of his career in Williams-Price Stadium against Farrah Cooper. What a way to go out. Uh, elsewhere, they're, they've got a pretty solid running back. I don't necessarily know that their O-line's anything to speak of, but Brandon Wilds appears to... You know, be competent back there. I think South Carolina continues to roll out really strong uh, tailbacks. Uh, but I again, I think I, I'll give it up to Brent Venables. He's going to be able to game plan against this. 
Uh, ben Bulware can shut him down. Certainly won't won't expect him to get do much against this Clemson defense. No, Wilds is a good running back, uh, but their offensive line is terrible. So um, I think both in the paths, pass rush and stuffing the run that uh, I expect a lot of our offensive or sorry defensive line in this game. And really, again, I think we get out to a big lead. I want to see Jalen Williams and uh, Doriano Daniel get in there more and then start to get some younger guys in there like Austin Bryant, Mark Fields, Ryan Carter, Van Smith, Kendall Joseph is, if he's healthy, um, just to get them in some experience and playing in this hostile environment on the road in a rivalry game. Because, again, a lot of these guys not being from the state of South Carolina, um, they need to know what it's like and what this rivalry is about. So if we have the opportunity to get up and get a lead and get some of these guys in, um, I, I think that'll be a huge benefit, just not moving forward within the next you know few years as they grow mature, but in this season as we get into the to kind of playoff territory. Yeah, you feel like getting sort of a killer instinct is going to be important for this team. That we, I, I don't know that we've actually seen that. I mean, I think against Florida State, it was a matter of survival. We got the stops when we needed to, and that was great to see. I think this team learned a lot about how to win in that game. Uh, but we've seen a couple of potential lapses since then with Syracuse. And certainly with Wake Forest, we took care of business. But um, you know, we weren't necessarily turning guys over and, and blowing their team up. So um, hopefully they can gain that edge again in this game because I think we're going to need kind of all the rest and preparation we can get um, as it, when it comes to playing North Carolina in the ACC championship. Yeah, again, getting guys' experience um, across the board. I think the guys are going to be focused coming into this game. Dabo's done a really good job, and the coaching staff has done a really good job throughout the year of, of keeping the team focused. They know what's at stake in this game. The it would like they would the coaching staff would give the team a ring if they beat Clemson and knock them off. Um, you know, from being number one and undefeated and knocked us out of the college football playoff this year if South Carolina beat us. This is what they have to play for, and this is all they have to play for. This is what they have to look forward to next year. They don't have a bowl game. They don't have anything like that. This is South Carolina's season right here, so we need to go in, be focused, play our best game, and use our talent and our skill and our coaching abilities to beat an inferior opponent. Well, with that, let's move on to predictions, Ben. Um, you don't necessarily see a 63-17. That was a special circumstance, even though we do have a better team. Where do you see this game ending up score-wise? Um, I think 45-10. to 10. Uh, I, I think it's a, a blowout, and we are dominant the whole game. It's a rivalry game, so I, I expect maybe South Carolina to come out early with a little bit of fight. Maybe we see the score tied at 7-7 or something like 14-7 early. But there's no reason. Their offense is anemic, and their defense is soft. Like There's no reason for them to hang with us. I think injuries aside, that we control this game the whole time. Um, I really think we could run up the score if we wanted to. I think back in uh, whenever 2003 in the 63-17 game, we were like 9-3 and that year or something like that. We've got a playoff and a national championship on the line, so I think when the lead gets comfortable enough that we do need to start to get some of the backups in to protect our our starters and get them rested to go face a pretty tough North Carolina team. But at the end of the day, yeah, 45-10, to I think we, uh, we win going away. Uh, our third... Third amigo here, Cody, cannot join us. We've affectionately called him Gamecock Cody. He matriculated at University of South Carolina for some time. No surprise to see him call a relatively close game here. So uh, without being able to defend himself, Cody picked a 31-21 Clemson victory. Um, no other notes than that unless you talk to him. What do you got? Anything? Uh, no, we keep picking on him for not being here. But, uh, you know, he is a Clemson fan. You know? 100%. 
He's true blue Clemson. He did one year at South Carolina. He knew to get out of there. So, um, you know, and he might be smart to call this a close game. Listen, I've called a few blowouts. We all have this year where, you know, it really didn't turn out that way. It was close against Syracuse. It was close against NC State. And South Carolina is a worse team than both of those teams. But, again, a rivalry game on the road, it's a very realistic possibility that it could be too close for comfort. I'm going entirely the other way on this. Um, Like I mentioned, I think we have the blueprint in the Miami game. I think we can use all the style points we can get and to develop that killer instinct that we're going to need to win in the playoffs and certainly to beat a North Carolina team. I'm going 51 to three. I think that our defense too strong for whatever playmakers they think they have on offense. I think three points is realistic. Um, Maybe a touchdown, but I'm going to go 51 to three. I think we get it done, and our reserves come in in the second half and continue to put up points. Elliot Fry is a solid place kicker. Yeah, maybe he'll hit a 55-yarder for their three points. I was thinking 53, but yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's let's hope that comes to be and the Tigers improve to 12-0 and as we head into Charlotte. Um, other, other action, I know we touched on this a little bit recapping last weekend, but it is rivalry week. You've got the Iron Bowl. You've got Bedlam. Uh, you got the Civil War up in Oregon. You've got Notre Dame-Stanford, a number of other games happening here. Ben, which one are you going to be watching closest this weekend? Well, I'm always interested, interested to see how Alabama is going to play, considering they're a likely uh, opponent in the, in the playoff. Although, at the end of the day, I think that they, they should be able to beat a bad Auburn team. Uh, the, the Big 12 games are interesting to me, as well as the Big 10 games. Um, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU. One of those teams, it seems, they have to make it into the top four. So it'll be interesting to see how those play out. Iowa, Nebraska. Nebraska actually beat Michigan State for their only loss this year. So let's let's see if Nebraska can can come in there and really upset, you know, and, and cause some trouble again. The Notre Dame-Stanford game, I'm actually going to that game. My good buddy of mine's flying in. Uh, for Thanksgiving, he's a Notre Dame fan. I actually watched the Notre Dame Clemson game with him as we were stranded uh, in Charleston during the floods earlier this year. So uh, uh, I don't know what to do in that game. I'm gonna be wearing my Clemson shirt. So if you guys are watching <laughs> on TV, I'll be the guy in the stands in orange, um, representing for uh, the Clemson Tiger Nation. Uh, but I think I gotta pull for Notre Dame in that one. As much as I hate to say it, what would you do? Uh. If you guys don't know about Stanford's tailgating scene, it's best described as a Chardonnay and Brie crowd. So uh, make sure you represent. Try to bring some barbecue down there. Go, stop by Chick-fil-A first. But yeah, I'm going to bring some Franzia and Kraft singles. Box wine and cheese. <laughs> I got cheese product. Processed cheese is. from Wisconsin or something? Yeah. That's um, how I roll. I think the game I'm, I'm most interested in is, I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, that Bedlam game is going to be awesome. But Florida State goes to the swamp and plays a shaky Florida team who barely got by Vandy. Um, they needed overtime to beat Florida Atlantic. Florida State, you know, don't necessarily have a ton to play for in this game other than kind of state pride, rivalry pride. But you could certainly top the Gators this year. Well, I think they're angling for a good bowl game um, because when you look, they're going to be probably the third-ranked team in the ACC behind uh, North Carolina. So... Where they kind of end up bowl game wise, if they can have a notch on their belt saying that they beat um, Florida with their only loss, I think. What did they lose to Georgia Tech? 
Yep. And then and, and, Clemson. And, and then to Clemson. So two losses to Georgia Tech and to Clemson. But if they beat the SEC East winner Florida, who does not have a good offense, so they certainly could. Um, yeah, they're, they're playing for a good bowl game position and some experience heading into next year. Yeah, right now Florida State's at 14, um, beating number eight team. I could see them moving up and even being in consideration for a potentially at-large bid uh, or certainly, you know, some good clout. They love nothing more than to, you know, pee in Florida's Cheerios a bit. So um, look forward to that game. And again, the Bedlam game, that's going to have tons of implications. Does the Big 12 get over the hump, get into the playoff? It's going to be really exciting. I think we're going to know you know, a lot more Saturday afternoon. And then UNC, let's see how they do against NC State. I mean, there's an opponent coming up, uh, you know, next week for us, and then we got a common opponent in NC State. It'll be interesting to see how they fare. Cool. That's our football wrap. Um, let's end today, Ben, by talking about Clemson basketball. Um, we are recording this Monday night, actually, uh, so we know the result of the Clemson-Massachusetts game. Um, as of right now, Clemson is 3-1. and one. We are undefeated in ACC play at the moment. But uh, won our first three games pretty convincingly. Um, we played Texas Southern over the weekend, won that game by 20 points, allowed 56. Uh, but unfortunately, UMass beat us tonight. I think they got out to an early lead. They were in fuego from behind three. We were trying to chase them and, keep, and hold suit. I think at one point I looked, we were one of eight from behind uh, the three-point line. So... Seems like we got into a game where we were trying to keep up, you know, with another team by shooting the deep ball um, instead of playing our game and our offense and really playing to the skills of our our team, our young team, and um, that that seemed to hurt us here. So, well, listen, I was really excited to talk about basketball, especially how we looked through the first three games of the year. But going into this tournament, which I kind of thought we had a chance to win, but I thought it was going to tell us a lot about this team. It was easy to score into the seventies at home against the teams we played. But, you know, this Clemson team has proven in the past that they can get beat by good shooting, and when it comes to games on the road in high-pressure situations, that the shooting we may see that's going well at home uh, is not as good uh, in these situations. We have guys that can shoot the ball, but we don't have guys that can shoot with confidence. We don't have a Terrence Oglesby or a Casey Rivers. We just don't have those guys anymore. Yeah, they can shoot in a vacuum uh, in, you know, friendly confines against bad teams, but... You know, it proved tonight against UMass. Now, I'll say this, that, you know, I haven't seen UMass play this year. I haven't analyzed their schedule. I know they're generally a, a decent team. I know they beat us a couple of years ago in the Charleston Classic. Um, but their three-point numbers, I mean, what they posted in this game tonight, that's how 15 seeds beat two seeds in in the NCAA tournament. I mean, when they shoot like that from behind the arc, that those teams are just very hard to beat. Yeah, it makes sense. And again, it is early in the season, and I think Clemson hasn't faced this type of an opponent to date. We've played, you know, UTSA, North Carolina Central, um, and then Texas Southern. Not exactly, you know, powerhouse teams. UMass has a long pedigree back from the John Calipari days, um, and they shot the lights out. I mean, kudos to them. It's not normally a, a game we'd probably lose by this much. Um, it was 82 to 65 final. I think Clemson actually came back a bit in this game. We were down in the 20s before the very end, but certainly not encouraging early in the season to see this type of loss. But um, we'll regroup. You know, Clemson putting up 65 against a much better team is still pretty good. Um, we'll still ch- take a look at the stats. But um, in terms of like who your early season MVP of this team has been, not just MVP, but who have you who have you seen play maybe above expectations? 
Well, Jerron Blossom game for sure, and I think uh, I think he's going to be have to be the guy to lead this team this year. But he can't do it by himself. Like Landry Noko, we got to get more offense out of him. He only had five points in the UMass game. Um, got into a lot of foul trouble in um, in the game against uh, Texas Southern, which plagued him last year. Um, actually, had no fouls, I guess, in the UMass game. I don't not sure how much he played. You have to again, it just ended. Have to go read up about it. Um, but from the post position, we really need more scoring because um, I think that's going to be a weak spot when we get into ACC play. Uh, City Jate had a breakout game against uh, Texas Southern. He had his first double-double, 13 points, 11 rebounds. Um, so if he can continue to improve, that's going to be great. But really, we need some solid scorers. We need guys that can shoot the ball. We know we can play defense. But our downfall, especially during the Brad Brownell years with the type of offense that that we play under him, it's a very slow-developing offense. And if we don't have guys that can get inside and score – or guys and we can kick it out to and we um, we can um, you know have confidence in that they can knock down a shot we're just we're not gonna be able to hang defense will only take you uh, so far that's fair I do I do feel like though when we get into these games with these you know shoot them out teams like that they can't maintain those percentages and we just need to play our style of game like find that format figure out if we aren't that you know if we aren't a three-point team then Let's let's impose our will on offense then. And well, that's the thing. We're not an inside team anymore, too. We're kind of a mixture of both. I mean, with Grantham, you know, he's got some length. I think uh, losing a Juqua will hurt us a little bit on the defensive end. Um, but he also had a high upside on the offensive end. So, you know, even even Texas Southern, they got off to a hot hot start shooting. You said teams like that can't keep it up, but you masked it in this game, albeit they're a better team than Texas Southern. Uh, we really got Allen started defending the three against Texas Southern, and that really turned the game. And we were down 33-31 at the half and ended up beating them, again, by 20 points. But, again, UMass is a better team. But at the same time, UMass is not would not be in the top half of the ACC. Right. Maybe they would. Um, but I, I do feel like Clemson's got – I don't want to call them the bigs to do this and be more of an inside team. But, um, you know, they do have – they've got Noko. And I feel like Jate – and, again, I know, I know they play in kind of a rotation – versus getting them both in there, but um, Jate got his on Noko's foul trouble. Like, could yeah. we consider a twin tower type of strategy? Well, you know, Jate, Brad Brunel says that he's been the most improved player uh, from last year to this year, so that's really exciting to see. I think Noko took a big step from his freshman to sophomore year, but from his sophomore to junior year, it was kind of disappointing. And then so far this year, I don't think we're seeing a lot out of him. Um, especially on the offensive end. So if we don't have a – we need a guy that can be more dominant inside. Maybe that's something where if we can finally get legend uh, Robertson in, um, he's going to be a, a big shot in the arm of the defensive end. His offensive game still needs to improve. Um, but if we're not able to knock shots down on the outside or get the ball in and score consistently on the inside, we're going to have trouble beating teams. Makes sense. Um well, again, I think you touched on the bright spot of Avery Holmes transfer from USF out here. He looks really solid as a point guard. Um, he's not necessarily shooting the lights out, but he can distribute the ball. He's going to get more comfortable in this offense and hopefully start to put up points. He's a guy that you know has been known to be a solid three-point shooter. Um, so if you can get get him going, maybe you know distribute the ball a bit more. But 
and if he can knock down some shots, yeah, and if he can draw knock down those shots and draw the attention of the defense, I think that really opens up a lot of getting some guys open on the wings, or you know, getting some guys open down low to really help that post play. Uh, he came into the UMass game only shooting thirty three percent from the field on the year, twenty seven percent from three point range. Um, he started off slow in the UMass game, you know, kind of looking at the stat lines, but I think he ended up forty uh, percent from. Uh, from three and five or twelve from the field, so he came on. But it's easy to come on in the end when you're down by like twenty and you're just throwing the ball up there. There's a little bit less pressure right. in high pressure situations or early on in the game. We really need to get him to get into the flow to really open up some other options on offense. I think. I mean, this was his what fourth game on the team in live action. It's going to take time. Right. Absolutely, exactly. Can't give up on a guy like that yet. Right. One other comment about this game. MGM Grand hosted this event, hosted this game, this tournament. This is a semifinal game, not televised at all, not even on ESPN3 or any like shady Jefferson pilot type network. Figure it out, guys, if you want people to care about your event. I mean, I know the winner of this game is going to go on to face the winner of Creighton and Rutgers. We haven't looked at the results of that game. Not exactly a barn burner tournament with, you know, number one seeds playing, but but these are four teams that within I, I think within the past four years that they've all been in the NCAA tournament. I would imagine. I know UMass has. I know Creighton has, obviously. Um, Rutgers probably. Clemson Brown Brownell's first year. Yeah. Um, maybe this is his fifth year there. Um, it's just unconscionable that they did not find a way to televise this game. I'm sure they'll televise the final, but pretty crazy. Uh, but hopefully Clemson's upcoming games will be able to track down and watch ourselves out here on the west coast uh, and we will continue to keep you guys updated on on their progress any other yeah. comments on the hoops again you know I, I know since Purnell left he brought a lot of excitement to the basketball program and it's kind of died down since then it, it was pretty much dead um, after uh, Rick Barnes left but it's our second major sport I mean it is something that we should be legitimately excited about and expect to be able to field a team that is uh is able to contend night in and night out I, you know there's a lot of people down on Brunel but actually I think his teams have overachieved throughout the year I still think he needs to take a next step to warrant him keeping his job after next year but I don't know it, it means a lot to me I, like I love when Clemson's good in basketball I love after football season have something to look forward to um just the same way I am with baseball season like really excited about this baseball season coming up um, but there's no reason why we can't be good at basketball, too. Like, we don't only have to be a football school. I think we can be good at basketball. Yeah, I think a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, this year we're going to be playing up in Greenville at the, was it Bon Secours Wellness Center, former Bio Center, the well, they call it. Um, so that's going to make it a little hard to get, you know, students out. But I think even when Little John was up and running, it was not necessarily a hot spot for students to get down there and watch games. Hopefully this Little John renovation you know, improves that, improves the facility to that point. Well, hopefully they sit students down closer to the court and move some of these season ticket holders uh, who don't show up all the time up higher because college basketball, more than anything else, I mean, you see how it is at Duke. Yeah. Um, Duke versus UNC is like a good parable here. Well, where... and they've got their students right up on the court. I think that atmosphere and how uh, a basketball arena lends itself to, to really ha having a close crowd, a lot of uh, – you know, a lot of enthusiasm and crowd noise from them, it makes a ton of difference. So, you know, I think a students to Clemson had the opportunity and they could send, you know, more people closer to the court. It could be a really electric atmosphere. 
yeah, I think what goes along with that is winning. So Duke's able <laughs> Good to point. Duke's able to have that atmosphere <laughs> because uh, they get the wins, they get it done. Um, same with other programs like Kansas. So um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think you know Bra- Brad Brownell is going to get some leash this season and into next year. You know, he's he's shopping for his players. He's doing the shopping here. So um, let's see how that how his recruiting can play out and how bringing some of these transfers in how he can make them gel as a, as a unit. But I don't think we should just write off 2015-16 as no, a wash. No, no. It's it's one game. It's one game on the road. Um, and it's a neutral environment, but it's still in Las Vegas against a good, you know, decent, solid basketball team. So, yeah, let's see how the rest of the season goes. This is a learning moment for these kids. We're not going to win every game. But, hey, at least this wasn't a loss to Gardner-Webb Winthrop, right? Right. I mean, you or know. Or Lenoir Rhyme or whoever we yeah. Beginning of the no, year. No, and again, this is against a team who shot lights out from the field in this game and from three point range. You know, the teams aren't going to do that every night. So we're three and one right now. Uh, we have many more wins left on our non conference schedule to see how we progress throughout that. And then going into ACC play, can we contend? Can we be a 500 team? Can we finish in the top half of the ACC? If we can finish in the top half of the ACC in the regular season, I think that makes the season successful. We will keep track. Uh, Well, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us. Again, this is part two of three of our South Carolina preview. Uh, We'll flip it over to Cody for the next piece. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure you check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, your favorite podcasting app. And uh, thank you so much. Let's get this win this weekend and go Tigers.